howdy, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well, howdy. Very fitting for today's episode. <laughs> it actually is because our main character is from Texas. Oh, well, look at that. So, so howdy, y'all. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> I'm Shaylin Smith. And I'm Aubrey Byer. <laughs> and you're listening to The, the Ray of Salute. <laughs> I, we will never do that again. No. <laughs> but it was fun this one time. <laughs> that was, yeah. You can tell it's getting late. <laughs> <laughs> or my cop. Shaylin got a killer espresso machine, and I haven't had a high-quality latte since I don't remember when <laughs> recently, because I haven't been going into any cafes, and let's be honest, around here, it's slim pickings, and the one place I do like to go, I just haven't been going, so, yeah. you know, that yep. was delicious, and now it's, I think it's kicking in. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> No, but she did a beautiful latte art hard on the top, and her foam was delish. Thank you. In a previous <sighs> life, we were baristas, you see. We were. We really were. Well, you still are. I Look still am. Now you're a, a, I've rekindled. at-home barista. At-home barista. But I, now it's going to have to be the, our norm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just every time. Just teach uh, your baby how to do it. Yeah, there you go. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be perfect. Go make me a coffee, kid. <laughs> hey, steam that. <laughs> we tried to give him the milk because, you know, I thought it'd be, oh, his first little, you know, quote unquote <laughs> like coffee. Like the warm milk? Can't like it? He, wouldn't, he refused to try it. I thought it was so funny. I, I don't know if he mine just like, he did try yours. <laughs> he dipped his hand right in there. I was like, brother, what are you doing? It was so funny, though, because then he looked at it, all, the foam on his finger, and he just horrified. nothing to do with it. No. <laughs> Just like calm down, dude. <laughs> he's a fu- he's oh a funny gosh. little guy. He is he's funny. only one. I don't know. I don't know. He's a funny guy. No oh. towel. Anytime he sees any spill, oh no, <laughs> towel vacuum. He says vacuum. Yeah. that oh, is yeah. so cute. It is really funny. Oh he cracks gosh. me up. Anyway. That is so funny. He will not be getting his little extra fancy steamed milk, I guess, which is fine because let's be you, honest, it's, so it's easier. Delicious. It is. He likes milk. Does he, he like, loves milk. Has he not had warm milk before? Like probably not. I, well, I think we got it for him at a coffee shop before, like mm-hmm. once or twice. So like, well, maybe, maybe it just weirded him out. Yeah, I don't you know. know, it's new. Yeah, yeah. Newness maybe he'll like it someday. <laughs> new things are frightening. Yeah. For sure. Like steamed milk. Just steamed milk. <laughs> Horrifying. Oh my gosh. Anywho. That is so funny. How cute. <laughs> Just his his face though. I was like, taste it. He was like, no. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. Well, if you did not listen to part one of Mount Everest, I highly recommend going back and listening to that before this one. Um because there's a lot of good information mm-hmm. in there, and it leads up to what we're about to talk about. It'll be very helpful. Yes. Listening. Truly. This is the story of Beck Weathers, and he was part of the 1996 Mount Everest disaster That's and survived. Oh, dang. Mm-hmm. His name is Weathers. And isn't the name Beck so cool? It's a good, it's a good name altogether. It but is like, a good name. That I know Weathers. so funny. <laughs> Because if there's one thing I know about mountaineering, it's all very weather dependent. A 
hundred percent weather so, dependent. Most, I don't know. Most that's, cases. I guess having the name Weathers didn't help if he was a part of the nineteen ninety six Mount Everest. It disaster. did not help him. All right. Okay. No. Woof. So Beck Weathers, um, he's still around today, but he was born December sixteenth, nineteen forty six, in Dallas, Texas, and he's a doctor, and he. Um, lives in Texas with his wife and kids and he started getting into mountaineering in 1986 so a little bit later in life as far as you know a lot of people start in their early 20s right but it was something that he started picking up because he mentioned that he was struggling with depression Mm. And mountaineering especially, I mean, every sport has its challenges. Mountaineering is so rigorous and pushing your body to its limit that way, he says, would just wipe his mind clear Hmm. and he wouldn't think about life stresses. He wouldn't think about any negatives. He wouldn't feel depressed. Okay. He would feel just like... it's kind of sad because he would say in punishing his body, it helped distract him from mm. his feelings. Yeah. Dang. I know. I'm like, to me, that sounds like a lose-lose. But, yeah, you know, yeah. He, he does change his way of thinking later. So his main goal, once he got into the climbing community, was to climb the seven mountains. This or the seven summits, which, as we mentioned before, is the tallest mountain on each continent. And he'd been climbing for almost 10 years before he started. I, I don't want to make it sound like he just was like, right, he just I'm going to climb and I'm going to climb the, t-. you know, like he <laughs> had been climbing for quite some time before making this his goal. In 1996, he decided it was, he was ready to summit Mount Everest. Dang. I know good on you brother (laughs) no and i do understand the intrigue i mean to touch the highest point oh yeah absolutely like it's really it's really cool it's It's enticing juicy it is yeah yeah, can't be resisted Mm -hmm. so he was um, one of eight clients with adventure consultants and they spent you know weeks of training and um, when they start at base camp, when they get to camp one, um, you're starting to acclimate to the altitude. With adventure consultants, instead of, I mean, really it would take like a month to just be at altitude and then another month to go a little higher to, if you're really trying to acclimate your body. But Rob Hall with Adventure Consultants had kind of found this method of, okay, he has it down to a science of this day, we go this high, we come back down. The next day, we go this high, we come back down. And doing it in a more like rapid succession, because these people don't need their bodies trained to live at this altitude. They Mm. just need their bodies trained well enough to reach the peak and come back down. Right. So this is a method a lot of these expeditions use. And it's pretty successful as far as, as successful as you can be climbing at 29,000 yeah. feet. You yeah. Know? Um, 
so they spent quite a bit of time climbing higher each day, acclimating to the altitude, getting through the Kumbu icefall was a feat in itself because it's just crevasses on each side everywhere you look you're climbing up 50 foot cliffs of ice that could shift at any moment and it's just wild (laughs) I mean this place is it's scary yeah (laughs) it's so scary I just I cannot imagine taking a bad step and falling 50, 100 feet into a crevasse that you're never getting out of. Yeah. You know? Mm. One of the guys does, not in their group, but in another group, falls, loses footing, and tumbles down into a crevasse. And everyone just assumed he died. But they they were able to pull him out successfully, and he lived. Oh, my gosh. What a nightmare. I know. And can you imagine seeing that? No. I can't imagine being that guy. Like, a crevasse is, like, number one worst thing, I think. Like, out of every type of, you know, the horrible thing that can happen out in the wild. That or, like, caves. Caves are pretty scary, too. You're right. I don't know. snug caves? Like, think of, like, a snug cave. Yeah, I guess you just think about it. Like, a crevasse is, like, so... But then it's, like, the cold. And then, like, I don't know. It's slick. No, you're right. No, I... (laughs) You say it's slick. Probably. Probably is. No, thank you. I can't. I just, I can't even handle the thought of it. It's terrifying. It is. It's very terrifying. Oh. So once you make it through the Kombu um, glacier and icefall, you're getting to camp one. You're working your way up. The South Cole, which is the space between the mountain ridges, mm. you're making your way slowly, very slowly, yeah. up to Camp 2. And then you're getting up to Camp 3. Now, Camp 3 is, once you get to Camp 3, that's where you're really hanging out until the weather is right. Okay. And you're trying to strike while the iron's hot. Right. You only have X amount of oxygen. They do bring, you know, you keep um, many oxygen canisters at the camp for your descent. Okay. But it's this sensitive time frame because you can't wait too long or your supplies are going to start running out and you just have to head back down. Right. But then you don't want to go before the weather's appropriate either. Yeah. So it's very much up to the mountain as to whether she's going to let you ascend or not. And we were talking earlier about just how respected the Sherpa people or how respectful they are to the mountain. And they really view the mountain as an entity. Mm -hmm. And there were several Sherpa that felt really uneasy about this particular trip Mm -hmm. because of things the foreigners had been doing. Mm -hmm. And um, they could, one of them mentions like feeling her, the anger of the mountain growing. And I call her a her because they call her like the mother. Right. Um, And so, um, 
yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, it's so hard because you don't want to take, when you've put this much money right. and time yeah, was and it training. Like 60000 or something? 62000 yeah. per yeah. person. Oh my gosh. It's, it's wild. But uh, you all, you know, you don't want to just have them telling you that you should go back, but then right. you also... That's exactly why you hired these people. Right, and yeah. Yeah. That's so I, I understand wanting to push forward when you've come this far, but yeah. then it's also, this is a lesson, you know? Yeah. It's a lesson in the elements. Um, so while at Camp 3, so this is very close to the summit, there's only one more camp in the death zone before you're going up into that uninhabitable area one there was a group within the the camp three there were several um taiwanese groups heading up and one of the taiwanese members this was unbeknownst to these other groups but he had gone out to go to the bathroom and slipped and fell to his death. Oh. Like immediately. my gosh. Yeah. Awful. He just took, he only took two steps out of his tent. Wow. But couldn't see well enough or something and just. Wow. Gone. Like, that's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it is. It is. So missteps um, are common, are a common cause of injury or death in when you're up this high Mm. because the oxygen the lack of oxygen that you're getting you start to not make the best decisions too and you might think something stable and just go for it whereas if you were really thinking clearly you wouldn't do that right and so a lot of the mistakes that happen at this high altitude are attributed to people just not register they're not in their right mind yeah quite literally yeah so they wake up, um, they've been waiting at Camp 3 for a while. They wake up with the sun, and they start, it's like perfect weather. So Rob Hall's like, we're going to Camp 4, we're ready. They climb all day to Camp 4. They rest only a few hours at Camp 4, and then they push for the summit. Because, like I said, when it's the right time, it doesn't matter how tired you are. It doesn't matter how, right. like, you gotta go it's still when nice. the window's yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. So they only rest a while and then they push. They climb all day and into the night to get to the summit by 12, by, by noon the following day. Oh. Because that's how slow you're going. Yeah. So um, you have to get to the summit by noon or by, you can't leave the summit any later than 2 o'clock. Okay. And Beck Weathers mentions, like, that is drilled into your head right over and over by the guides you cannot be at the summit after 2 because the sun's going down and it the descent is the most dangerous part right which is true of anything i mean how many times have you climbed up a tree and then you're like uh-oh <laughs> When I was a child, I would climb trees <laughs> constantly, and I could never climb down, and somebody would have to come and get me oh every time. It was like a thing. People who were like, bro, you got to stop doing this. I'm like, I won't. 
I it's want. It's like that today. <laughs> I'll climb a mountain and then I'm like, oh dear God, going down. It really is the worst. Yeah. I also have really weak ankles and <laughs> so it just makes it very challenging. But anyway. Oh my gosh. That's funny. Um, so a little quote from uh, Beck Weathers is, if you aren't moving fast enough to get there by two, you aren't moving fast enough to get back down before darkness traps you on the mountain. Yeah. And and you don't want to be above that The line. death zone. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Oh, gosh. So um, he says, at, at this altitude, their bodies are burning 12,000 calories a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. They can't, you, you can't even, and you don't feel good at, like your body can't digest at this point. Weird. So he says, even if you were able to manage to eat something and swallow it, your body wasn't, is not able to digest it what? because of the altitude. Wow. I didn't it's, know that it's, was a And thing. the lack of oxygen. Wow. I know. How interesting. I know. And um, so he lost like over 30 pounds and think about i mean that's a short amount of time well yeah i was gonna say how long just a few weeks that's crazy whoa 30 pounds because his body's just it's expanding he says you when you hit that altitude your body is quite literally starting to die dang you are losing brain cells and you're losing muscle mass so you have a very limited time to get there and back that you can that wow. you're even physically possible wow or able to do the cons you're constantly dehydrated because again like your body um in one of the books that i read to prepare for this it is into thin air and um it's a phenomenal book um john krakauer and he was the man who I had mentioned in the last episode that was the journalist for The Outsider. Right. And his book is fantastic. But he was mentioning at one of the camps, they would have to volunteer to go chip ice and distribute it to all the tents so that inside the tents they could melt it down to drink because you're not carrying water up there. Right. And one time, like his, that's all he did for hours on end was just chipping ice bringing it to tents and it doesn't matter how much water you drink you're just never your body's never satisfied how interesting yeah whoa i know um and the air is so dry and so it's drying everything out from the inside just the recovery on a successful trip i can't even i can't either i can't imagine the exhaustion yeah and as we'll find out, like even after people reach the peak, sometimes um, Beck mentions getting to the summit of Everest is not a physical feat as much as it is a mental. Yeah. You have to, it's, it is the, your mental wherewithal that brings you back down. Like the physical ability might be what gets you there, mm. but it's all mental on the way back down and that's crazy people will just they like can't like they've exhausted everything they have sometimes just to get there wow yeah he says you can't sleep because you're not getting enough oxygen for your body to reach a state of rest 
So it's just str- a struggle. So y- you rest like right. where you're not moving, right. but you d- you're not sleeping. That, that's horrible for your brain. And yeah. When I was typing some of these pod notes, I tried for, for like a minute just breathing, like only breathing in a third right. of the way. Yeah. And that was, I can't even do that. Like that was so stressful <laughs> like, <laughs> by myself like, in my room. <laughs> like, <sighs> I just needed like a deep yeah. breath and it was, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's too much effort to breathe. And so they would just wake up and couldn't. Wow. Your body's just in a state of struggle constantly. I, it's incredible. Like, yeah, like you just said, like, you're kind of almost panicking just in your own house, just at your computer or whatever, yeah. you know? So I can't imagine, like, yeah, that kind of feeling would be very odd. I know. Just, it's, you're, it's, it's surprising that you don't hear more about people, like, just panicking, you know? Oh, it, just researching for this, I felt panicky. Yeah. Because, because I'm imagining, too... There's no quick rescue here. Yeah. It made me think of um, the man who was trapped in uh, the African safari. Mm. Uh, safari. Yeah. Cool. Because like, it's like in his situation, in uh, Greg Rasmussen, in his situation, there's no quick rescue. Like it doesn't matter. There's no one around. I mean, yep. here there's people around, but there's no one that can help you yeah. if you're they yeah. leave people all the time. Yeah. Um, Every man left behind. Which is so, yeah, yes, it's true though. And because, I mean, and everybody knows that going in, yeah. but it's. Because nobody else has the strength to, to do help it. you. Right. Even if they wanted to. You right. Know? Yeah. It's very much every man and woman for themselves. So. Um, oh gosh. The only thing. um Another quote from him, he says, the only thing on that mountain other than rock and ice are discarded bodies and canisters, Mm -hmm. which is so morbid to think of. It is. Yeah. It's like so gruesome. Like, yeah. What a, like (laughs) everything you're listing at the beginning of this episode is like, why would you want to do any of this? You know? know? Like, yeah. Oh, wow. It's really tall. That's great. But like, yikes, bro. Nope. <laughs> no. Oh. Yeah. So, um, once they're up at Camp 4, three hours later, like I said, they only rested very briefly. Um, the wind ceases, and Rob Hall gets says, tells everybody, saddle up, we're going for it. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Um, Doug, he was one member of their team. He had gotten within 300 feet of the summit the year before. 300 feet. You probably and had see to turn it, around. right? If, well, if the weather is fine, you could see it. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, 300 feet, that's like nothing. Can you see that? I don't know. Maybe not. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Probably. I'm sure. Ugh. Dang. 300 feet. So this, he was extremely determined. Like, he had no, he was not turning back. He was going to reach that summit. He, um, this whole time had from like base camp on had had, um, my sister told me that they call it the Kumbu cough. And it's just this persistent cough where it's 
basically partial like pulmonary edema, which is what killed yeah um Rob Hall's partner yeah Gary Ball, um and it's a lack of oxygen that causes that, and um Doug had suffered from this ever since base camp. And he really was not in condition to be going, but he yeah. was so determined that he just, he went, he was planning to do it anyway. Wow. And it's not just making it up there. You have to be able to make it back. Yeah. And I think that's where, for him, he just, his only focus was getting there. Yeah. So. Uh, um, their client, every step that they're taking, they're, you're stepping in other people's steps. And so it's this long line and there is um, like lead ropes that they will use that you clip onto, mm-hmm. which help. But I mean, it can only, it helps you stay, know where you're at, kind of. right. but you also have to unclip from those and clip to other ones because yeah. they're anchored. Yeah. So one mistake one misstep yep. could be the last thing that you do at any moment. As Beck is starting up the track behind the rest of the group, he starts to realize he's having a really difficult time seeing. Hmm. And the a year and a half before, he had had an eye surgery done because he wears glasses. Right. And he had had this eye surgery done because, obviously wearing glasses and trying to be a mountaineer <laughs> not that's got to be very challenging got to be very challenging fogging up everything yeah. oh my gosh and at the high altitudes he mentions that the altitude can warp the shape of your eye oh. isn't that creepy yeah and if you have like eyes that are working well it doesn't usually affect them too much okay. but because he had had this surgery and I am taking everything that he's saying with a lot of, he has a lot of credit to right. be saying this because he's also a doctor. Yeah. So medically, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming he knows what he's talking yeah. about. <laughs> um, but it warps when his eyes, when it's darker out, he was having a really hard time seeing because his eyes were dilated and it was making everything blurry. Wow. So... He was basically, he's finally stopped and was letting people pass him because he wasn't confident that he, he was really scared to do a misstep. Yeah. So when um, Rob Hall gets, he sees him waiting behind. And when he gets over there, he tells Beck, we we only have 30 minutes at this point. Like we got to get to the top. If, If you can't, if you don't get to the summit in 30 minutes then like if your eyes don't clear up in 30 minutes i think that's what he said and and you head to the summit then you wait right here and on our descent we'll bring you back down yeah and um so beck waits and waits and his eyes are not getting better and several time several times people on the descent so everyone else not most people have summited at this okay. point. And, um, but he is waiting f- because he realizes he can't, yeah. he's not, he can't do it. Yeah. 
with his vision the way that it is. And he was hoping like it was dark out as the sun came up. He was really hoping that as his eyes focusing and as like your iris, your pupils shrink, he really was confident that he would be able to see better. Yeah. But that wasn't the case. And his right eye, by the time that he was still waiting and people started descending, his right eye was basically completely blind. Like he couldn't even see. Did he blow the pupil? No, it was just the altitude, like the warping. Yeah. Dang. I know. And several people stopped and they're like, hey, come, like, we'll take you down. You can come down with us. And he, but he really, he said his mistake was he didn't want to go down and then have Rob Hall wondering where he went. Right. And so he waited for Mm. Rob Hall. Oh, no. Unbeknownst to him, Rob would never make it down. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, that is part two for our Everest expedition. We're going to leave you hanging there for a little moment. (laughs) Y'all to catch next week. Well said. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh boy. Is that important? No, not at all. (laughs) Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, Tune in next week to hear the conclusion of that story. Mm And follow us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Share us with your friends. We would love to hear what your favorite episodes have been so far. Yeah. So you can do that by emailing us at theresolutepod at gmail.com. Or you can message us on Instagram. Or Facebook. Yeah. If you're into that. (laughs) I think you might even be able to, every episode, you can leave a comment as well on Spotify. Um, I do read those. I think we've gotten a couple and they're fun. Participate. I enjoy reading. Um, Well, yeah, we'll see you guys next week for the conclusion. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye.